The title of this sermon is going to be held for a moment. I'm going to ask you to guess it after you watch this video. So while you watch the video, ask yourself, hmm, what in this video might be the sermon title? Watch and enjoy. Retired Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink. What's the sermon title? Here it is. This morning, we are talking about five sugar-coated lies. Five lies that you listen to, five lies that you tell yourself, five lies that the devil tells you when you are facing a temptation to break God's commandments. Five lies that our first parents listened to and believed when they took the fruit and ate it. Five lies that called for Jesus Christ, God the Son, to come, to suffer and to die in our place so that we might be redeemed from our fallenness and our sins. Five sugar-coated lies. Here's, Here's lie number one. God's Word isn't totally true. That's sugar-coated lie number one. Let's see it again in our text, Genesis chapter 1. And he, the devil, said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Is that really a word from God? Did God really say that? This is the temptation that you hear. I'm sorry, this is the, yeah, these are the words that you hear when you're facing a temptation. The Bible forbids that thing. And you hear in your mind, does God really forbid that? Really? Is it really that bad? If it feels so right, how could it be wrong? You're contemplating an affair, and all of a sudden, all the things in Scripture about being faithful to your wife or your husband are called into question. Does God really care about that? I'm in love. I have feelings. This is lie number one, sugar-coated lie. Has God's Word really said? And it's the worst of the lies, perhaps, because it pulls the rug right out from under your feet so you have nothing left. You have no Scripture left with which to fight your temptation. You remember when Jesus was tempted of the devil, devil out in the wilderness, how did he respond to each of the three temptations? 
it is written, it is written, it is written. And he quoted from which book of the Bible? All three. Deuteronomy. How would you do if you're, this isn't fair, if your Christian life depended on your ability to quote from the book of Deuteronomy? It is written. That's what you need when you're facing temptation. You need a clear and a sturdy and a forthright no, sugar-coated lie. It is written, you shall not. You need that firmly under your feet so you can stand upon it. You might hear, did God actually say, here's how it might come into your everyday life. Does God really care whether I have an extramarital affair? Really? Does he really care if I mess around with the premarital stuff? Is that really so wrong? Does God really expect me not to lie to my husband or my wife about how much I'm spending and what charge cards I have? Really, does that matter? Here's a not politically correct one. Does God really care about fetal tissue in the womb? Do I really have to keep it alive? Isn't it just part of my body? Sugar-coated lies. God's Word isn't totally true. Doubting God's Word is like playing this game. What's the name of this game? Somebody tell us. Yeah. And you pull one out, and you pull another out, and you pull another out. Did you see there's a video of a lady playing this with her German shepherd, and he pulls them out, and he pulls them out, and he pulls them out. No kidding. It's for real. But eventually, somebody's going to get pull the last one out, and the whole thing's going to go... And that's what happens when you doubt Scripture, and you pull out that verse. I don't think God really said... And you pull out that one, I don't think God really means. And you pull out another, I'm not so sure this really ought to be part of the Bible. And pretty soon, you're standing on shifting sands of human opinions. Let me show you some ancient people who did not give in to this sugar-coated lie. Let me show you some people who held fast to God's Word. Here's what it looks like. This is Paul to the ancient Thessalonian church. And he says... We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you, believers. They accepted God's Word as God's Word. They were ready to stand upon it. They were ready to live by it. That's what you need, not sugar-coated lie number one. What's lie number one? God's Word isn't totally true. And again, you'll be tempted with that when there's something you want to do, but you know the Word says don't do it, so you try and finesse the Word so it really doesn't mean what it says. It really does allow that thing. I'm an exception to that. That may apply to other people, but in this situation, it doesn't apply to me. That's when you'll be tempted with sugar-coated lie number one. Here's sugar-coated lie number two that our first parents face and we face every time we're tempted. It is this. The consequences of disobedience aren't really bad. 
Now, in the Bible, God tells us, if you do that, this will happen, and it's bad. But sugar-coated lie number two whispers in your ears, no, the consequences of breaking that commandment aren't really bad. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, spiritual death and physical death. But your, your reasoning will say, no, it can't really be as bad as the Bible makes it out. I'll just do it. It's not that bad. Here's where we see it in our text, Genesis 3-4. But the, war, the, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God said you'll die, but the consequences aren't as bad as God makes them out to be. You surely won't die. It's not what God said. You can go ahead and do this. It's not going to damage you. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to ruin you. The consequences are small. Actually, the entire race plunged into ruin. But the serpent said, it's not very bad. You will not surely die. Nothing will happen if you do that bad thing. You can make that choice. You can do that thing. It won't hurt you. But let me give you a verse from the book of Proverbs. Here it is up on the screen, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man. It seems right. Oh, that seems good to me. That seems right. I like that, but its end is the way of death. Say that last word with me. Humor me. Death. Say it again. Death. You all caught up by the second time. There's a way that seems right. Oh, that looks perfectly good to me. God says, yeah, you do that. It's death. Spiritual death. Death in your life. Death to your marriage. Death to your kids. Death to your job. Death to your life and ultimately physical death. There are consequences to breaking God's commandment. And that thing you're contemplating, and the devil whispers in your ear, go ahead. Nothing bad will happen to you. It's going to be okay. I know God's word threatens, but you can't really believe him. Going your own way is good. You will not surely die. That's sugar-coated lie number two. The consequences of disobedience aren't really that bad. And every time you say yes to sin, you're believing that lie, or you would never say yes to the temptation. It can't be that bad. It's a lie. And conversely, here's sugar-coated lie number three. The consequences of sin, the devil says, are actually good. Not only are they not bad and damaging, but they're actually good and beneficial. Disobedience to God is fun. It'll make your life better. Going your own way is good. Here's how the devil put it, Genesis 3.5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, let's just back up a little bit. You remember that their temptation was, you may eat of every tree in the garden, and they're all good for food, but of that one tree you may not eat. We're not told that the animals were not able to eat from that tree. There was nothing inherently bad about the tree itself. There was nothing for wrong about that fruit or unhealthy about its fruit. Um, but they were told not to eat of that one tree. Why? It created an opportunity for them to make a decision. And the decision was, will I follow God or will I follow me? Will God be God in my life or will I be God in my life? 
Will I believe his word and obey him, or will I go my way and have my will and do the things I want? And when the devil said, no, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, he's actually saying the consequences of sin, of breaking his commandments, will really be quite good. It's good to break God's commandments. There are great benefits in breaking God's commandments. And every time you break commands, you are believing that lie. Like a fish following a shiny little lure. Anybody hear fish? Anybody hear fish with lures? And you have a little thing that spins and it's shiny and there's little feathers that twitter and they're shiny and they cover up the three hooks that are there and you cast and reel and cast if you're in stream and looking for trout and you cast and reel and the little and you're going here fishy 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 here fishy and the little fishy sees it and he looks out and he says ooh lunch lunch oh it looks so tempting lunch should I is it safe mm, lunch goop And he took the bait, and it leads to death. And that is just how it goes when we are tempted. The tempter says, here, fishy, fishy, here, Christian, Christian, go ahead, have that affair. It's good. How can it be wrong? It'll feel so right. Go ahead. You're not married. Go ahead and do that thing that God says you're to wait till you're married. Go ahead, you feel a same-sex attraction. Feed it, that's good. Now, act on it, that's good. Your life will get better. Go ahead, redefine genders. So there's, how many genders are there now? There's no end to it anymore. And and it's good, be whatever gender you want to be. Go ahead, take that baby out of your womb. It's good. Go ahead, lie to your boss, lie to your wife, lie to everybody else. It's good. Don't turn. Don't believe on the Lord Jesus. Living your way is good. And the devil fills us with lies. Every time you succumb to temptation, you're succumbing to lies. By the way, as an aside, We don't need the devil to sin. If there was suddenly no devil, if God suddenly did away with the devil, if God destroyed the devil, can you still sin? Oh, yeah, because you're a fallen being. Some of you are saints. You're in Christ, and God sees you as a saint. You're holy in Christ. But can you still sin? Oh, yeah. Um, We are quite capable of committing any sin on the planet without the devil's temptation. So don't go in for this thing that says, well, it was the devil, we need to cast out demons, the demons made me do it, not my fault, I'm not responsible, yada, yada, yada. No. So the devil says, go ahead, the consequences of sin are actually good. Let me show you what God says is good, Psalm 1611. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where can a human on this planet find fullness of joy? And where can a human find pleasures that are everlasting pleasures? In Jesus Christ. In walking with the true and the living God. Don't believe the sugar-coated lie that says, bust out of God's will, bust out of... Of, of his commandments. No, the commandments are for your good. 
Here's a helpful way to see God's commandments. They are like fences. God puts in fences to protect us from harm outside of those fences. Let me show you some children playing in a backyard. And after I picked this picture and then I looked at it later, I realized, no, they're not in the backyard. That's the street back there on the left. They're outside of the backyard. Forget that part. I knew you'd all notice it and question my sanity. All right, I do realize now they're outside of the yard. Pretend they're in. So they're in a backyard playing, and they want to get out of the yard. Daddy, why do we have to stay in this yard? You're cruel. Look at all those nice things out there. We want to go play with those things. And Daddy says, no, you must stay in the yard. Why? Is he cruel? No, it's his love protecting them from the harm that they don't understand or anticipate. And every one of God's commands for His children are just like that fence. Those fences are placed there to keep you from harm. The devil says, oh, it's good if you get outside of the fence. It's good if you cut a hole in the fence. It'll make your life better. It's a sugar-coated lie. God says it'll be good if you do His will. So that's sugar-coated lie number three. The consequences of sin are good. Here's sugar-coated lie number four. It's your life, and you should live it your way. This lie is widely held. This lie is enormously popular. It's your life, and don't let anybody tell you what to do. You should live it your way. Here's the verse, Genesis 3, 5, that serpent said, uh, emphasizing a different part of this verse this time, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good, knowing good and evil, knowing good and evil. Again, why was the tree in the garden? So they would make a choice. Am I going to live my way or am I going to live God's way? And every one of us, in a sense, at at some point in our life, we are in that garden and we are making that same choice. Am I going to turn and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and be a child, a blood-bought child of God? Or am I going to live this life my way? Knowing good and evil was their way. They weren't supposed to know evil. They were supposed to know good. But they chose their way. We'll live life our way. And the sugar-coated lie that they told themselves was, it's our lives, and we should live them our way, and we should make our own choices, and we do not have to stay inside the fences that God has created for us. There are good things outside of that fence. How did that turn out? The mess we're in. I've mentioned this before in a sermon. Some of you bear with me who were there and heard it, but I can't resist. Who's this? Frank Sinatra. Do you know what song I'm thinking of? (laughs) I can't sneak anything past you all. I had to look it up. It was a 1969 song. It was released in 69. He portrays himself as an older man. He was not yet older. And he's looking back at his whole life. He's recounting how he lived, and I did this, and I did that, and I did the other. And then the tagline at the end of the stanzas, it changes a little bit, but here's the basic tagline. It is, and more, 
Much more than this, all the things I just named that I did, I did it my way. Here's the last stanza. For what is a man? He's doing philosophy. What's it mean to exist? What's it mean to be a a human? What is a human? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say the things he truly feels. Watch this. And not the words of one who kneels. Oh, oh. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. That is an evil song. That's a damning song. Do you hear the hiss of the devil? My way. Do you you breathe into your nostrils? The stench of hell in that song. I did it my way. My knees will bow to no one. Ooh. And yet when you choose not to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you spend your whole life singing that song. That's who you are, and that's what you are. And when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, what happens is there's a fundamental turning. The Bible calls it repentance. It means you turn. You turn from my way to his way, that you will be God to me, and I will follow you by grace. I will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, they play this song at funerals. Like, old Joe, he passed away, but hey, let's glory in this. He did it his way. Oh, how sad. That's sugar-coated lie number four. Your life would be better if you do it your way. Now, there's one more sugar-coated lie, but first I want to recap. So here's what we've seen so far. After you've listened to the first four sugar-coated lies, after you've doubted God's Word, after you've scoffed at the consequences of sin, after you've twisted yourself to see sin as good, after you've turned entirely to your own way, and after you have duly, therefore, made a mess out of everything, here comes sugar-coated lie number five. It is this. You've made a mess of things. Best run and hide. You've made a mess out of things, best run and hide. That is the fifth sugar-coated lie of our first parents, and the devil did not say that one to them. They said it to themselves. God had given them beauty and joy and life and a choice, and they chose my way, and it ruined the whole thing. And instead of running back to him in repentance and turning, they said, here's what they said. Here's what they did. Um, Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What did that sound like? I don't know doesn't matter. Nobody knows. But apparently, they were used to this. They would go out and walk in the garden, and God would walk with them. What a walk, and what a garden. And they heard it like they had heard before, and the man and his wife 
hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You see the immediate mental effects of the fall. They're imagining they can hide behind trees. It's like, let me hide, behind, hide from you all. Okay, can you see me? That's what they were doing. But, but right before that is the important thing. They hid themselves. They said, uh-oh, we made a mess of things. Best run and hide now. Only thing left to do is run and hide, and this temptation faces you when you've made a mess of things, and you've grieved the Holy Spirit, and you've wounded your conscience, and you've broken God's commandments, and maybe you've messed up relationships, maybe you've lost a job because of it, maybe you're going to jail before because of it, and you say, uh-oh, I made a mess out of things. I'll run from God. I'm going to leave church. I'm going to leave my group. I'm going to leave fellowship with God's people. I'm going to stop reading Scripture. I'm going to stop praying. Best run and hide because I made a mess. We all make messes. We all get tempted to run and hide. Will he really receive me back? Yes. Lie number five says, you've made a mess of things. Best run and hide. Lie number five believes God isn't interested in you anymore, and there's no place for you anymore with God, and there's no room for you at the cross, and the blood of Jesus won't cover that sin, and you best run and hide behind trees. Have you seen people do this? I have. I've seen people go far away. I've seen young people raised around the gospel, but they don't like it. They don't want it. They don't open their hearts to it, and they can't wait till they're 18, and they can leave home and go into the far country like the prodigal son and live with the pigs. I've seen it. I've seen adults. I had a, I had a pastor friend who did this very thing. Left his church, left his wife, left his kids, went into the far country, even wound up for a while out of this country. I went somewhere in the country looking for him with another friend, found him. We reasoned with him and pleaded with him. And he said, you know, I believe everything you're saying is true. I just don't care anymore. He did come back to Christ years later. He did come back to Christ years later. Best run and hide. He ran and hid. But if there's running to do, here's what the running should be. Look at Zechariah 13.1. Oh, I love this. On that day. There shall be a fountain open. Just show us the fountain for a second, would you please? Flip forward to the fountain. There's a fountain. Not a drop. Not a molecule. A fountain. Go back to the verse, please. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David. We are the new covenant house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And what happens in the fountain? To cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And when you give in to temptations number one and two and three and four, and when you listen to the devil's lies and you fall into sin and temptation and you dirty yourself and you mess up your life, then the last thing is, all right, I made a mess of things. I guess I better just run. I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to move away somewhere and just go ahead and grovel in my sins. No, run, yes, but run to this fountain. It's open for sin and uncleanness. But I've been unclean. That's what the fountain's for. And really in the fountain, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. 
that cleanses you from every transgression. So that's where you run. You run to Jesus Christ. His arms are always open. You run to Christ, to His shed blood, and you find grace. In the New Testament, the Apostle John tells us, 1 John 1, 9, here's what you do when you run to Him. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Faithful means He will always, 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 always do this because it depends on His grace and His mercy and His love and not my conduct. He's always faithful. He will always do what He says here. And it's just. He's just to do this because the Lord Jesus Christ already suffered for the sins of His people. Those sins are already covered by His blood. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. You say, oh, I feel so dirty. We'll run to Christ. He cleanses dirty sinners. That's His specialty. That's what He does. Run to Jesus Christ, and He'll cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. So, when you've made a mess of things, don't believe sugar-coated lie number five. Don't believe, oh, I guess I'd best just run and, run and hide somewhere. No, you run into the arms of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is the part of the sermon where I'm responsible to land the plane. It's time to land the plane. Hopefully not like this. Take us off of that picture, would you? Go back to the fountain or something. Thank you. Here's how we'll, here's how we'll land this, this plane, this sermon. Some of you are not Christians. We are so glad you're here. We pray that you'll be here. And there's a decision for you to make about your life. Will I go my way or will I turn and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and believe on him and have all of my sins washed away by his cleansed blood? Every bad thing you've ever done, every wrong thing you've ever thought, every awful thing you've ever said or will say, all washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God presents that to you freely. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Some of you need to receive that free gift. And I'm going to pray with you all right now. Would you pray with me and would you open your heart to God and would you turn to Him and would you make this the moment where you stop running and hiding where you turn to the true and living God and embrace Him as your God through Christ. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing each person who is here into this gathering. We pray that your intended purpose for each one of us will be accomplished through these words of this text from Holy Scripture. Thank you for bringing people here today who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. Oh, we pray to you for them that right now you would turn them, that you would open their hearts to you, that you may be God to them. For the first time, finally, you would become God to them. And they would turn to you and call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you died for sinners. I'm a sinner. 
please, may I have that free gift, the gift of God that is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you just prayed that with me and you meant it, you need to tell somebody who is a believer and let them help you get growing and help, help you learning how to follow Christ. You need to have a church. How about this church? We'd love to have you where we can help you grow and follow Jesus Christ. If you'd like to talk to somebody today, there will be people out at our desk in the lobby. They would love to hear from you. Hey, I prayed that prayer. What do I do now? Go ahead. Get up your courage and tell them. The most important thing on the planet is that you would be moved from death to life in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for these tables of communion. We come to them with, with eager and hungry souls and pray that you will feed not just our taste buds, but our souls. Lord Jesus, you said you stand at the door and knock, and if we open, you'll come in and have dinner with us. Come and have dinner with us right now, we pray. The King James Version says it's sup, come and sup. Not like what's up, but have supper, sup. Lord Jesus, come and sup with us at these communion tables. And maybe some of the believers here, maybe all of us here, maybe especially some of us here, have some repenting to do. We've been believing lies and dirtying our souls. Help them to turn and come back to you and confess their transgressions and be made uh, clean afresh. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.